So guys, I am up super early today in New York City, major press tour because my book is going live. I'll be on Fox later today. We'll have NBC as well, all the main cable stations. You can turn them on and see me because capitalistbook.com is live today. I've been writing it for two years and you guys are the originals, all the podcast listeners. The book is basically me taking all these strategies I've learned from B2B SaaS CEOs and putting them in the book, whether it's distribution arbitrage strategies, how to buy and sell SaaS companies, companies, six and a half million dollar LOIs that went down the toilet and blew up big time. You name it, it's in here. So it would mean so much for me if you guys grab the book, capitalistbook.com. I'm looking at the pre-sales number right right now on my phone, kind of scrolling through as I'm getting ready for hair and makeup. And I'll tell you, the thing's, it's going to be a bestseller. I mean, this thing is going to be a bestseller. So get it before all of your friends do so you know what they're talking about when they talk about it. Capitalistbook.com. You guys are the originals. Ground floor, baby. All right. Everything sassed. Again, the book is called How to Be a Capitalist Without Any Capital. I've got to jump onto this press tour, but I want you guys to hear another excerpt from the book right now. So enjoy. Growing revenue. How to get to a million dollars. People often think the only way to grow a business is by expanding their customer base. It's not true at all. Bringing in more customers is actually the last thing I try to do when strategizing revenue growth. It's much more effective to think about how you can drive new income from people who are already paying or following you. Let this be your mantra anytime you think about growing your business. Go deeper, not wider. One way to do this is by launching a new product that your customers say they also buy. Even if they already have that thing and don't buy it again, new customers are likely to buy more from you because all your products appeal to them. So yes, new customers do play a role here, but your main focus is on going deeper, not wider, by getting all of your customers to pay you more. Think about how you can get your current customers paying you more money for more value. There's a balance to strike here. You don't want one customer making up more than 10% of your revenue. That's risky. But if you can get a small group of people paying a lot for something they want, your earning potential will be huge. For example, If you have 100,000 customers paying 80 cents per month, that'll get you a million. You could also have 5,000 customers paying $16 a month. That'll get you a million in annual revenue. Or 100 customers paying 833 bucks per month. Or lastly, just five customers paying a lot, 16,600 per month, gets you a million dollars in annual revenue. So I want you to challenge yourself by putting a creative limit on your customer number. And then ask yourself, how would I build a multi-million dollar company if I were only allowed to ever have 50 customers? Or what products would you sell them? What would you charge them? How would you manage pricing increases over time? And what would they be happy to pay more for? I realized that gitlatka.com was never going to be a product that I could sell to a million people at $30 a month. There just are not that many people interested in B2B SaaS data but it offers a lot of value to a very small group of people in venture capital and private equity and venture debt and B2B SaaS CEOs. So I decided I would draw in customers and keep them by limiting the number of people I'd let in. Maintaining a small circle also allows me to give each customer white glove service and build a waiting list. Today, I cap my customer base at around 50. Every few months, I'll send out an email letting them know my monthly price is going up. About one to three customers churn as a result of the increase, so those spots open up to the waiting list. 
Then I email the waiting list saying, hey, we have three spots available at X, the new price. Those spots fill up immediately. My audience knows I will only ever have 50 customers at a time. That fact creates an urgency that drives folks on the waiting list to jump in the moment a spot opens up. And I'm going deeper, not wider, to grow cash flow by charging every customer more with each price hike. Clayton Mask, the CEO of Infusionsoft, also used a deeper, not wider approach to growing revenue. He told me how, back in 2014, his customer churn was 8% every month. That means out of every 100 customers who signed up for his software, he'd drop to 92 the following month. That churn is really high if you're trying to build a software business. So he did something counterintuitive. He started charging customers more money and fewer of them left. Well, how did that work? Well, he discovered that churn was high because people were signing up for his software as a free trial but didn't start using it right away. Then, when their trial was over, they left. When Clayt added a $2,500 service fee at the beginning of the sales process, his customers became more invested. He also started attracting more serious customers while weeding out those who never intended to pay for the service. He could also afford to put one of his people on each customer to help them have success quickly. Churn dropped from 8% to 2% each month. He signed up fewer customers but at a higher price, and those customers were more likely to pay for longer periods of time. If you're still getting to know your customers, you can cast a wide net first, then study their behavior over a few months. Who has reordered already? Who has paid the most money? As you start recognizing trends, you can tweak your approach to serve those high-paying customers more directly. At my first company, Heyo, we tracked who churned in what months and how many. We called this our cohort churn analysis. Out of the 443 customers who signed up in February 2014, 84.7% had churned by February 2016, two years later. If I were exploring new pricing options, I'd reach out to the 15.3% of customers who signed up in February 2014 who are still paying me to try to identify why they are so sticky. I'd then update my pricing or introduce an upsell based on why these super sticky customers kept paying. In Halo's case, the customers who kept paying the longest were those who captured the most leads through our Facebook contests. So we started to tie pricing to the number of leads collected and immediately saw a revenue spike. Anyone can do this with their business. Look at which customers have paid you the most historically, then figure out why they paid you the most and introduce pricing tiers around that data. Don't make decisions based on your gut alone, which is sometimes right, but often wrong. You want gut plus data. Now, be careful here. Don't just upsell for upselling's sake. Customers have a low tolerance for that. Aim to upsell based on usage if it can fit your business model, since customers will be hooked by the time they face the new pricing. We did that with Heyo, and it's also how I monetized the top inbox. You hit a $5 per month paywall after using it 50 times. That's 5-0. It's a no-brainer for customers to pay by that point since they're regular users. When upselling physical products, think about how supermarkets use checkout lanes or Amazon uses people who bought this also bought this other thing. It's not annoying to put ping pong balls on the beer end cap in a college town. The store knows that most college students buying beer for $9.99 will also buy ping pong balls for $3.99 to play beer pong. 
you just increased your average checkout size from $9.99 to $13.98. The annoying version of this is when you're at a Verizon store and the sales guy tries to sell you a bunch of extra stuff you don't want. Cables, chargers, new data plan for just $1 a month. Make sure you're upselling things the customer is already thinking they want. Chapter 13. Selling a business. I made money by selling too soon. Bernard Baruch. Selling a business is as much of a strategy for growing wealth as launching one or buying one. The decision to sell has everything to do with time, the time you spend running the business, the time you need to grow it, and market timing. A packed schedule is the biggest red flag telling you to sell. Remember, joining the new rich is all about passive income. If you're spending all your time running a company, it's preventing you from generating other revenue streams. A lot of people lie to themselves about this. They think a project is passive when it actually eats tons of their time. If a company is truly passive and making you money, hold it. If it takes your time with no end in sight, sell. Also, look at growth. If numbers are flat or declining, sell. You may be tempted to push for growth, but that requires a lot of time. Or it requires you to hire a team and incentivize the team by giving them equity to grow it. You can do it, but it's an art. And just as important, market timing. If you get the sense that the market is overvaluing the space you're in, you might take advantage of that hype and sell. Cash in while it's hot. One sentence I use to get offers without sounding desperate. The old saying, you have to be bought, not sold, is just that, old. Forget the tired thinking that you can only get a great offer for your business if buyers woo you into selling. You need to make it known that you want to sell with the reason people will believe to get conversations going. Give this impression even if you're only curious about the prospect of selling. Email a few of your competitors and say, I really need to sell the business to take care of some personal stuff. Want to chat? Leave it at that. This sounds desperate, but that's the point. Your desperate vibes will get prospective buyers to engage in conversations that otherwise wouldn't have happened. They'll see it as an opportunity to take over a competitor that they won't want to miss. And they'll work on persuading their co-founders, teammates, and board to make an offer. That's right where you want them. Once they sell their team on the idea, they're expected to get the deal done. If they don't, it puts egg on their face. Use this to your advantage. Everyone wants to get a good deal and then brag about it to their team. If you can give the potential buyer an initial discounted price that makes them feel good, they'll tell the world about it. But after they're hooked, you tell them others want to buy, thereby creating competition and getting them to increase their bid into a range you'd actually take. Emotions start running high when prospective buyers issue an LOI. That stands for letter of intent. When they've reached that point, it means they've persuaded their team to make an offer. They've taken the time to strategically think about the purchase. They're naming a price. They're naming a closing date. They're visualizing what the company will be like when they own it. This is the foreplay that happens when companies are pursuing each other. When I'm looking at buying companies, I know that once I issue an LOI, I'm significantly more invested. I've learned more about the CEO, the company financials, and the systems the team uses. I can still walk away, but it hurts more to walk away at that point. 
That's the state you want to get your buyers into. Once you have a few LOIs, you'll have the power and the leverage to spark bidding wars. But how do you get prospects to push beyond that discounted price they thought they'd be getting? Keep them emotionally invested. I often give this response to an initial offer, when I believe it's true, to spark emotions. I say, I have two responsibilities. One is fiduciary responsibility to my investors. The other is making sure my customers are happy. Now look, you're at the top in terms of where I think our customers would be happiest, but financially, you have to increase your offer for me to feel I'm meeting my fiduciary responsibility to my investors. If you don't have investors, guys, you can say advisors. Making the higher price tag about the investors keeps the money conversation objective. The financials are what they are. You're not just throwing out a pipe dream price. And mentioning customer happiness gets buyers thinking about personal fit and culture, intangibles that talk louder than money. Think about any time you shopped for a place to live. Weren't you more likely to push beyond your budget if you walked into a place that felt just right? Suddenly, you're rationalizing the extra expense. It's a totally human reaction and it works in business too. I used this technique when negotiating with a potential Heyo buyer in 2015. This is kind of how the phone conversation went. I said, you're at the bottom of the pole in terms of deal value. And they said, well, how much? And I said, well, I have two responsibilities, financial and customer. You're at the top in terms of where I think our customers will be happiest, but you're going to have to increase the deal value by a pretty massive amount. They said, well, how much? And I said, well, you offer $200,000. What's your best offer? And they said, question mark, question mark, question mark. I then replied, I'm willing to give you a discount below the current best offer we have because you're a good fit for our customers, but you're going to have to double or triple your deal size in order to get Heyo.com and its assets. They then said, let me talk to my co-founder. They've encountered with an LOI with $200,000 cash and $100,000 earnout with terms that made it almost impossible that we never see. Their offer was still too low. It needed to be more like $375,000 cash, $100,000 earnout. Still a discount, but they are the best customer fit. So that's kind of how the conversation went. Now, this conversation got them to triple their offer. Sell pickles to the lettuce guy. If you've never sold a company, it can be hard to know whom to approach with the initial email. Your first obvious group is your competitors. Most of them would love to swallow your business and get you out of the way. If you're a local brownie shop, approach other bakeries in your neighborhood or look up a national brownie brand. You never know if they're looking to expand in your area. Another easy option is good old social media. It's a great way to find potential buyers you never have thought were interested. And it makes it easy for people to spread the word. Just post the same thing you'd write in an email to prospects. Hey everyone, I really need to sell the business to take care of some personal stuff. Let me know if you or anyone you know might want to chat. This approach works best if you're selling a small business doing less than $10,000 per month. Otherwise, think of companies that play around you. If you're a software company that helps small businesses with invoicing, try approaching a company that processes payroll. Or a company like Vistaprint that helps small businesses create marketing materials and business cards. Think of the market as a hamburger. There are several different but complementary players all around you like buns, tomatoes, onions, pickles, ketchup, cheese, and meat. If you're a cheese and can't find a direct competitor to buy you another cheese, look for complementary companies like the lettuce or the bun. Look around and understand what else your customers are buying. 
If they're buying footballs from you, they're probably also buying air pumps. Maybe you can sell your football production company to the air pump company. Additionally, look at your product's distribution channels as potential buyers. Matt Rissell co-founded the payroll software T-Sheets in 2006, but struggled to turn a profit during the company's initial years. They didn't see major growth until they started selling the software through the Intuit App Center, eventually making their way to number one ranking. Fast forward to 2017, Intuit buys T-Sheets for $340 million. Square and Weebly followed a similar track. Square cross-sold many of Weebly's website-building products for years. In 2018, Square ended up buying Weebly for $365 million. So look at who is selling a lot of your products, the distribution channels. If you're paying someone a cut and they're driving a lot of volume, you might offer to sell them your whole company. So make sure to look at these three channels if you're not sure where to start your hunt for a good buyer. Competitors, other players in the same space, the hamburger, and distributors. You'll likely find more options than you think. Sell while you're young and hot. By young, I mean you. By hot, I mean your company. I mean, but it can't hurt if you're hot too. You'd be shocked how many deals I get because of this hair. Now, I learned this lesson the hard way with Heyo.com. Back in 2012, iContact offered me $6.5 million to buy Heyo. I would have been, what, 22 at the time. Now, at that time, all of our competitors were exiting with huge offers. Salesforce bought Buddy Media for more than $600 million. Wildfire sold to Google for $350 million. Seeing those deals inflated my ego. I thought, if Mark Zuckerberg could turn down Yahoo's billion-dollar offer to buy Facebook in 2006, and my peers were getting nine-figure deals, 6.5 million bucks was nothing. I could do so much better. At the time, I was 22 years old and new to all of this. I didn't try to negotiate or spark a bidding war. I just passed on iContact's offer. I still remember the one-page contract we signed. It was part one, section B, and it said, it was beautiful and highlighted, the purchase price will be $6.5 million and will be paid in the following manner. And the contract went on. Now, passing on this was one of the biggest mistakes of my life. Never underestimate the timing of a market. Boom, there you guys have it. To see if I recovered from this $6.5 million mistake and what I eventually sold Heyo for, grab the book today and flip to page 243. It's at capitalistbook.com. And today is launch day, guys. It's Tuesday, March 5th. I can't believe the day is here. I've been writing this thing for two years, taking all this juicy podcast data I've been getting from SaaS CEOs, putting their war stories around distribution and growth and you know going from nothing to 10 customers and then 10 million to 100 million. And all the war stories are in the book. You want to grab it. It's going to be a bestseller. I'll tell you, I'm looking at the pre-sales numbers right now. It's going to be a bestseller. So you want to grab it now. Capitalistbook.com. In the meantime, I've got to jump into the van with my team, the hair and makeup guy, the picture people, the publicist at Portfolio. We are going to Fox. We'll be on Fox, the cable station here at 9.30 a.m. Eastern today and then doing a major TV tour this week. So I got to run, but I want to let you guys know I appreciate you. Grab the book at capitalistbook.com live today. You can get Audible, Kindle, or hardback. Go grab it, capitalistbook.com. In the meantime, I will see you guys tomorrow morning where we will go to the top again. All right, guys, Nathan Lackey here. Catch you on the flip side.